Today's Daily DVR does Watchmen is sponsored by a presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. And you know what comes out this month, Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus launches November 12th, but Cufflinks.com all month long, 20% off, Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. You got it. Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. Man, they got ties, cufflinks, pocket squares, socks, so much great stuff. You've got to go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR. Check it out. Use code Disney Plus and get 20% off your order on Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars. That's right. Use code Disney Plus at cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome back to Daily DVR Does Watchmen. My name is Axel, and my very special guest co-host today is Roger Roper of Shad on TV, baby. Today we're going to be giving you our initial reactions to Watchmen Season 1, Episode 3, entitled, She Was Killed by Space Junk, written by our showrunner and series creator, the great Damon Lindelof, and... Lila Bayok, a writer for The Leftovers, Castle Rock, as well. And the episode was directed by Stephen Williams, a producer on Lost. And he's directed about, what did IMDb say, 51 other television programs. First off, I do want to thank Chorizo Slim for our awesome theme music, Full Color. Some of you may know that I worked at World of Video, what I consider one of the greatest independent video stores that ever existed. And... Tito, who is Chorizo, was my former co-worker, and Devin did the music for Westworld Theorycast, and he worked there too, so we had a lot of talented people. So check the show notes and go buy his album. Also, hello to Tay, our newest patron from South Korea, and hello to Gina, an OG patron who just got into Watchmen. Subscribe to Resisting Gilead about Handmaid's Tale. That's Gina's podcast. You can find out more about us at dvrpodcast.com and email us at dvrpodcast at gmail.com. That's enough about me. Let's talk to Raj. Raj, how you doing, baby? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I feel like uh, most of my life has been consumed these last three weeks with Watchmen. I I doodle at work. I, I, I make the symbol of Watchmen. I, I watch the episodes three to four times. I've watched the ultimate cut of Watchmen on DVR and and I've gone back and I'm I'm rereading all the Watchmen comic books. So it's like uh when you know when you and I first got together it was on Westworld where just yeah. in that first season it felt like it just consumed my life and and I haven't had a feeling like that until Watchmen. So it's it's weird uh to sometimes tell regular people and what I consider regular people are people who don't watch the show, how exciting a television series is. They kind of look at you weird, but yeah, that's how I feel about the show where it's just like, it's all consuming and it's like all these thoughts and these theories, it's all coming right back to me. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how I'm doing. Yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Now, did you watch, were you involved with lost or were any of the guys that shot on TV, watch it? And po- I know you didn't podcast them, but did you watch right. it and take part in that while it was happening? I did. So I was kind of a, I bought during black Friday. I think I bought like the first four seasons of lost. And like, that was my first introduction to binge watching. And at the time I, I didn't know that there were like all these like onsite blogs and yeah. even like the early podcasts that were companion pieces to lost. And I wish there was because the friends that I had, like they were like, they're like, I don't get this show. This doesn't make any sense to me. And I was kind of like on my own little Island, if you will, you know, pressing the buttons in the hatch. So it's nice that we live in a world now full of independent uh, producers that go out and and develop their own little followings. And we, there's this whole little network of podcasters where we don't have to feel lonely anymore. Yeah. Well, man, we had that during lost with a lot of the talk shoe pods, the transmission, Jay and Jack, black rock, um, you know, Damon and Carlton did their official podcast, which came mm-hmm. out a little bit later. Now they're, now Damon's coming back and doing another, this time they're only doing three episodes right. of it. But Damon, we used to like people would write in and we'd, you know, they'd always have the joke about podcasting without pants. So mm-hmm. this is bringing back that feeling. We kind of got that back with Game of Thrones a bit. But Game of Thrones had the books, so you couldn't – and it was always like, when's George going to fit? You can't theorize sure. as much, I mm-hmm. felt. But this, you're absolutely right. 
I'm obsessed with it. I love it. And Damon, as we know, he loves to pull this second, third level stuff, some of which we saw tonight. And it's just, it's got me thinking about it and I'm just loving it, man. I'm loving it. What are some of your first reactions to this episode we saw this evening? Well, obviously, as the first two episodes have shown is, you know, the, de- the we're definitely in the world that's following the comic books. Um, that's the universe that we're living in. Yeah. And I love how Lindelof is, is bringing and infusing and continuing that story while also introducing characters that have their own story and carrying forth some of the same messages uh, and, and themes that Alan Moore and Gibbons originally had in Watchmen while all, you know, making it his own. Uh, this one, you know, definitely was all about Silk, uh, the Silk Spectre or Silk Spectre 2, however you want to, Laurie, Laurie's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about a tragedy, right? It was all about the tragedy of what happens when, you know, your the dream of who you thought you would be, like when you're, w- when you discover like you're living a life that you didn't expect it to be. You expected one thing out of your life and it turns into another. A comedy becomes, begets a tragedy, right? So that was, that was all about this episode. I think you, we also learned a little bit about uh, a character that we haven't seen, but there've been hints of uh, in, in lady true. Um, Mm -hmm. And also we got some more information about Senator Keen and the Calvary. Those are the top three things. Oh, and Ozzy, um, sorry, I forgot four things. And then Ozzy, we're continuing to see Ozzy uh, almost in his like Leonardo da Vinci workshop working on some some new ev- new inventions that was kind of cool. So there was a lot of cool things, but this was really a Silk Spectre, Lori Blake episode. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I loved it. And I, I want to go back to one of the things you said in the beginning when you were talking about the way that the that the Damon's doing this remix. And I've listened mm-hmm. to your guys' pod, and mm-hmm. we've talked about it too. And what we've been kind of formulating this idea that the remix and, you know, the, the, the movie's great. It's fun. You know, we can debate about release the Snyder cut later. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a huge, you know, it's a bit more spectacle. This is really going from the comic. And yeah. I feel like he's not only the remix is, changing things in the same style of conspiracy and history that we find in real life. So we find things that we learn from a perspective of the comics, which a lot of it too was Rorschach's journal, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's only one perspective and we see other events from other people's perspectives, but now we come and learn. And what I found kind of interesting about this episode was that she is not pining for Night Owl 2 or or Dan, who seems to be locked up like the owl in her apartment when mm-hmm. Keen makes that illusion. But she's pining for Dr. Manhattan, the guy that totally ignored her, like le- you know, like left her for 30 years. She's still pining over him. I did not expect that to get that kind of level of emotion. I thought that she would be more connected to Dan night owl than she would to Dr. Manhattan. So that's kind of a remix in a way of, Oh, her feelings have evolved in this time. I don't know if they've evolved. It's that, I don't know if you've ever been like in a down or a low point in your life. I I certainly can more than (laughs) I I like to share, but like during those times, you look back and sometimes your, your mind sugarcoats past relationships. You're like, Oh, like I they, if I that. only had that in my life again, everything would be good and I'd be young and I'd be yeah. attractive again. And like when you think of who Dr. Manhattan is, um, he, he obviously he was a, you know, a, a person who had these great, enormous superpowers and, you know, looked the way that he wanted to look. So, of course, it would be very attractive to a young, you know, crime fighter like Lori was. Uh, but, you know, the more that you got to the relationship, he was very distant, cold. Mm-hmm calculated didn't really care and sometimes we get our we get caught up in those abusive relationships and when they're after the fact we look back and you're like well what was so wrong about that and maybe i want that again in my life well you know all that time away and the fact of where she is in her life i think to add in 
that aspect that she's longing, she's pining, she's using public phones, you know, that are, I guess, I, I don't know if it was like a, a <laughs> PR publicity stunt, right? Because you know, really Donovan cool, has right? not answering any of those calls. Yeah. Isn't that you know? a neat thing? It's like yeah, writing it letters was- to Santa. Right. But yeah. Or calling Superman. Booth. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, that was one of the things I know. It was like, why I do you think that. they built these? Like, I wonder if it was a way to like either control the population or, or put this in their head that, yeah, if you call Dr. Manhattan, he'll come back and save us. Right. The reality You're is safe. he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't, he doesn't care about humanity. He doesn't care about us. And certainly he doesn't care about Lori. Yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't think so either. And even at the end, when the car falls, she looks up, she sees like this light and we're maybe supposed to think that this was an allusion to her story about the brick and he drops it. But Mm -hmm. I just thought it was the same thing that picked up Will at the end of the last episode, the big magnet dropping another oh, yeah. car by accident. <laughs> like I yeah. thought it was. Well, I think that is, I think that was Angela's car. Well, I don't, I I don't know. Was okay. Maybe it didn't look like it. Cause that was a car and Angela didn't Angela have more like a SUV. Maybe, a, maybe it was. Yeah. It looks like an SUV is just all okay. crumpled up. Um, I, at least that was what I, I'd have to go back and I'd have to look okay. at, but I'm pretty sure that okay, was the, cool. the SUV that Good. she was We're loading Will in. But yeah, no, I that <laughs> it definitely seems to coincide with, um, with that, and I I think it is the vehicles, and I think the vehicles are um, a, a machination of Lady True, or uh, La- am, am I saying that right? I don't know, but Lady True, La- Lady Triu, Triu. I, th- I think that's I think that's correct. Yeah, so I think she's behind all the flying magnet cars. Um, because if you watch the coming attractions or Ooh, upcoming, I did not watch you, it yet. Did not watch you, it. You, Sorry, don't mean to spoil it, but I mean, you, you were introduced to Lady True. Um, uh, she's apparently the one that built the Millennium Clock. She's the one that's taken over a lot of the assets yes, from right. Adrian Veidt and all the businesses. And in the coming attractions, you see the Millennium Clock with all these flying vehicles. So oh, okay. Interesting. My, my, my thought process is, or at least my assumption, if I were to skip ahead, is that she's somehow behind all that. Hmm. Okay. Another, yeah. another part in that upper like that's interesting and this is what i love that damon likes to do this he did it on lost leftover things have levels so we find we get to know angela and judd then we see the senator now all of a sudden the fbi's in there now we have to see who the opposition the higher force opposition is to this to the fbi or whatever is going on perhaps that's lady true behind whatever mm-hmm. there is so with some connection to ozzy uh, yeah, I yeah, I think there's definitely a connection with Ozzy. Yeah, bought his company, and there was a bit of that in the PDPedia. Yeah, the, yeah. See, I said about that. I, now the PDPedia, where was that in in the PDP? Was that from the the week one and week two, or was that most recent? That was. What, what did it say? I think it was the first batch. There was one where it went into what what Vite ha- what happened to Vite. And it uh-huh. mentions that his company, that True purchased the company. He went, he, he disappeared. And uh-huh. went, the reason why they tried to find him was because she wanted to purchase the company. The, uh-huh. And now that he has been declared dead, she has now full assets of the company. That's what we're, that's why we're seeing declared dead, why that's important, because it's a, from a legal standpoint. So that's my understanding. And, um, she is involved. She, it seems they, there was hints that perhaps she is somehow connected to some other characters or maybe even masked heroes in some of that writing, but that might just be me extrapolating. Um, no, I, I, I think she's definitely connected. Yeah. To some, I think she's definitely running the some name sort of alone, heroes you know? operation yeah yeah <laughs> i think she's definitely working some sort of mass because uh, number one i think that's where will gets his resources from ah, i like it um i i think that there is she might have some connections to some other mass vigilantes that we see um the we, we see the introduction of Lori in her new governmental role in the anti-vigilante bureau or department of wherever she's in mm-hmm. where she's you know entrapping um, not the Revenger. Uh, who was it? Uh, the anyway, Shadow. The Shadow. Yeah, yeah the Shadow the, Box or something the, like the, that. The, ba- the, the Batman knockoff, right? Um, it always reminds me of like the opening of like the Dark Knight, right? Where 
He's like, I don't fight in hockey pads. <laughs> so that's how kind of I feel like it was happening there. But yeah, so no, I that was a little like bit this, of an homage with the bank, with the, you know the whole mm-hmm. bank thing and everything. Mm-hmm. I think you're exactly. right about that. Exactly. Yeah, that's At that's BC. interesting stuff. Wait, you were um, you had mentioned something. Uh, but I, but we were talking about Lori too and yeah. her connection to Dr. Manhattan and how they have this sadness and mm-hmm. that introduction when she comes in and the fact that she's a part of this anti vigilante task force and that guy that she's with is Petey from Petypedia. Yeah, we get to see Petey, yeah. the real character on so the show, that's him. and she sleeps with him. Yeah, How great that's is that? right too, right? After I guess yeah. that big, big ass, huge blue dildo wasn't enough, right? She had to yeah, get I, the real I, thing. I, I, I gotta say, I did call the the doctor <laughs> the doctor Manhattan um, uh, piece uh, when she pulled it out. She threw on Devo's. Um, oh, what what was uh, that's Mongoloid new- Mongoloid song? And then she goes in, she pulls out this briefcase where she keeps it. Um, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's a, it, cause it's blue and glowing. Like you, it was almost <laughs> like the, the scene in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction yep. Right. She's it. Maybe that's what they had in the briefcase. Maybe that was it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's blue. And I was like, Oh my God, is that a, is that a Dr. Manhattan dildo? Are they going to show that? <laughs> is that where the show is going to go? And then at the end I was there and I was like, I called it good. Um, man, so, the, yeah. the comic really <laughs> did. There was a lot of, the the comic really did like to center on his junk, so there was yeah. there was well, a lot of that. That's that's what I think is the <laughs> that's what I think is the name of the title, right? She was attacked by space junk, right? Is that what was is that, that the title? Title? Well, of- that's actually a Devo song. Oh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. That's good. She was yep. attacked by space junk. Okay. Yeah, it's a Devo song called Space Junk, and it, and it's about a girl named Sally. I never touched her. She never saw it when she was hit by space junk. That's the, that's a little bit of the lyrics. And there's a Devo song in playing the in the beginning, yep. Mongoloid. Got it. Oh, yeah, nice. Good right? call. Nice but, catch. But um, what I wanted to bring up was that it was interesting that Lori, she still she has this attachment to Dr. Manhattan. You so eloquently described, and we saw that billboard on, on top of the taxi that said, from comedy to tragedy, mm-hmm. right, in reference to the comedian, and she is the comedian's daughter, mm-hmm. but that she is now rejected this. Right, like she th- she keeps on saying, "Take off your silly mask." You know, she she seems to have gone the other way. Obviously, she's in the FBI now, and she's on the other side of things. Right. So that kind of was interesting as well, too. How hardened she had become. She's so attached to this memory, and like you're saying, she's at this moment where she's, you know, sitting there on a on the public uh, Manhattan phone. But then still, her her everyday work is to take these people down and to disrupt this type of work. But yet that's what she yearns for those days or that connection. It's not a very – she doesn't seem like a very happy or well-balanced uh, person. No, I mean definitely the, the, the bad aspects or the worst aspects of both of her parents are, are really – brought to mm-hmm. life in this performance by Gene Smart who's playing Lori Blake the the you know the comedian was the ultimate super soldier for the government right he was that clandestine you know he for, you know obviously for those who didn't read the comics or anything like that the comedian was a bully he was a young bully that dons he, he he bought like a costume and then decided to take those same bullying antics and beat up bullies and then was part of the original Minutemen, but then was kicked off the team when uh, he was accused of raping the original Silk Spectre. Which and he did was, attempt to rape her. Yeah. Well, he, yeah. And, and Hooded Justice saved. Um, and then later had an affair with Silk Spectre, right? Yeah, they later fell um, in love. Which, which basically talks to the type of character that the original Silk Spectre, Lori's mom, was. But when he started going, you know, doing all these missions with the the government and doing all these black ops operations. Um, he saw the truth of really what it was. It was all a joke. The comedian wasn't a funny guy. Like he was, he always had really bad jokes and Lori's kind of telling bad jokes as well, or jokes that don't make any sense. Yep. And I think she's seen through all the bullshit. And that was one thing that her father did, but 
her but father he became like a nihilist. I, I yeah, think that's, that's really exactly what he that's, was. That's what she's becoming. Yep. She's becoming a nihilist. You put yeah. that right. And then she's using also um, the last bits of her fame to like seduce a coworker, mm-hmm. right. To make herself feel a little bit better about herself. And that was again, what Lori Blake's mom did. So again, all these, all the tragic details of, what she tried to avoid in her life has come true. And I think that's because she's been separated from Dan, who was kind of like her. Yeah. The heart, the yeah. heart of, the and, and made, and made her a better person. But yeah. if he's locked away in a cage covered by a sheet out of sight, out of mind, she occasionally feels that her, a mouse. She feels that I think she can leave that world behind and, 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 and just continue this solitude, nihilistic lifestyle yes that was great good job you should be a podcaster i should get my own show (laughs) (laughs) that was great man taking a little break from my conversation with raj man this has been a lot of fun tell you about going over to cufflinks.com that's right go to cufflinks.com slash dvr today they are the official sponsor for the podcast and if you're liking the podcast Go over to cufflinks.com, check it out, tell your friends, tell your folks, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook, and use code Disney Plus to get 20% off your order all November long. 20% off Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, they've got ties, cufflinks, tie clips, socks, pocket squares, so much great stuff, you've got to see it to believe it. This is Art, people, wearable art. Go over to cufflinks.com slash DVR today and use code Disney Plus now. One of the best parts about podcasting is getting to know the listeners and making new friends. And one of those friends is Andy. You may have heard me mention him before on one of our many podcasts. And Andy and his wife, Claire, are looking to adopt. So if you or anybody you know is considering adoption for their baby, please consider the loving family of Andrew and Claire. They're a home study approved adoptive family of three living on a farm in southern Minnesota with a dog, Barney, and two turtles. They're able to adopt from anywhere in the United States and would love to answer any questions you may have. To learn more about them, check out their Facebook page at Andrew and Claire Adopt or on Instagram at Andrew underscore and underscore Claire underscore Adopt. You can also email them at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. So again, if you or anyone you know is considering adoption for their baby, reach out at Andrew and Claire Adopt at gmail.com. Thanks. So much so far has been even trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Yeah. You know, like for those, and there's a lot of people that I talk to people who haven't read the comic. They're just, oh, I love this show is so cool. What the hell's even me? I'm sitting here. Okay. Now we're learning about t- why is Tulsa important? Okay. Because part of the reparations were that because of the riot there, the massacre right, right. that we saw, they gave land to people and you, people came there, it became kind of like a haven, right? We didn't know we're learning about, oh, okay. Only the police only wear masks there, not all over the country. These right. are things that were just little bits and that it was his, it was Keen's idea, mm-hmm. I guess, along with Judd to do this. So I'm getting, I'm very suspicious of both of them, but. So many different things are going on that to have this episode where it's so focused on this character whose story, that tragic story of her mom and who her dad really was, was the impetus for Dr. Manhattan kind of reconnecting with humanity and for a moment at least, uh, long enough to kill Ozymandia, uh, kill uh, Rorschach in the comics. Um kind of that is what made him connect again and to have this be such a central issue in this third episode i thought was really brilliant because i kind of i actually for this episode i found myself settling down a little bit and feeling more of the stuff stuff you 
explained about Lori and her journey and her feelings. And like, you're right, having sex with Petey and the desperation in that, the phone call, the story she tells. Can we talk a little bit about the story? It's, it's so interesting that it starts off one story about the girl in the brick. She says, Oh no, that was the wrong joke. Let me start again. Tells right. a new story about the superheroes, but then the girl with the brick comes back. <laughs> yeah. At the end. And that wasn't yeah. even from that story. No, no. I kind of got lost in the whole point of the story. I guess she was just trying to tell like that she's she is integral to the story, and the story is Lori, right? Lori's the girl with the brick. That's the ultimate. I think payoff. that Lori is the girl with the brick, but right. I also think that the narrative structure of it is reminiscent of not only Dr. Manhattan's concept of time and how things work together, but that the concept of – I thought it was very meta because it's also in paying respect in a way to the comic and the TV show and what we're watching, right? As well as perspectives. So much of what we've talked about in our show so far has been about history written by the victors and how conspiracy plays such a large part in this show and how a story from one thing can become another. Like how so many people are having issues with Rorschach wasn't a racist. Why? You know, like people thought he was some kind of hero and can't understand how many times that happened in history. So I think there's, I like what you're saying, but I also think there's a little bit of a metaphor in the structure of taking something that seems incongruous, incongruent and putting it into that story, but yet it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was kind of beautiful. Like when she mentioned the girl at the brick at the end, I got like a, like a chill and I was like, that is amazing storytelling because it works, but it shouldn't. Well, there's also there's also little hints along the way, like when she's there's a positional shot that focuses in on Lori, and there's the the almost the Wendy Andy Warhol like painting behind of all the characters. Yeah, there's Night Owl to Ozymandias, and then um, Doctor Manhattan and Lori, the, the character Lori, the older Lori is in front of her character. And so those are the four characters that she's also alluding to in the joke that she's telling. So there's all these visual clues that coincide with that, that again, point to the brilliancy uh, and the homework. I keep calling it that people, (laughs) I mean, there's an effort that's put into this show. They're not leaving Starbucks cups uh, in shots is what I'm saying. Cold or or too hot. You know what? You mentioned that. I want to bring up a little cinematography thing. DJ Tim Hines asked me to do this. So in each episode so far, there has been one. I I don't know if I can pronounce this correctly. Split diopter shot. Um, Mm -hmm. If you are a film geek like myself, you may remember uh, there's a movie called Sisters, Brian De Palma. And it was famously used a lot of that. It basically means split focus. So the foreground yep. and the background are in focus simultaneously. And it's a special lens. The mm-hmm. first in the first episode, it was when, uh, Angela was in Judd's office and it shows a picture of Judd with a kid. And then she is in the background. In the second episode, it was Will when Angela has him at the bakery and it was, I think his pill bottle. In this episode, it's the faucet is running. Uh, um, Lori turns the faucet and Keen is sitting in her living room and you see him in focus. So they're doing like one shot in each episode. It looks very comic booky, but also it's just kind of, I'm trying to figure out, are these shots telling us something? Like if we yeah. take these shots and look There's- at them. There's always a reason why. And yeah. so so my co-host Gene Lyons over at Shad on TV uh, on the on the deep dive, he he offered up an idea or a question of what could the pills be? And there was a character that he mentioned that used his pills uh, to gain superhero powers for a limited period of time. I don't remember the superhero's name, but I wonder if those pills are somehow if Will is working with uh, Lady True, 
if the pills are somehow related and <laughs> keeping him either alive or keeping him somehow being able to put his hand in boiling to, water. Yeah, being able to break out of handcuffs or yeah. this, there's something there and I think it's probably coming from Lady True. I mean the fact that he's 105 I mean, there's got to be something there. So. I, I like this because we were just talking last episode. I know you guys like who, what, who picked Will up. There has to be a kind mm-hmm. of a power structure. Sure. See, I had been thinking like he just – he he kind of got out from where – he wasn't supposed to be there talking to Angela, but he wanted to get his granddaughter involved. Right. Now, there was – okay, this is when I'm, I'm going to just go down. We're doing an initial reaction. Why not get crazy? So – sure. Andy, one of our uh, listeners had written in and we had been talking a little bit about, um, uh, Adrian, Vite, Ozymandias, Jeremy Irons, trying this whole play and the fact that he dressed up the butler as Dr. Manhattan. He seems to be doing these experiments. He's making something. He's trying to do to, in this episode, he seemed to make him fly up and he froze because he went into outer space, <laughs> right? Okay, mm-hmm. and he came back down. He had a rope attached to him. Um, is he and the pills with Will? Is he trying to manufacture a superhero? Is he trying to remake Doctor Manhattan, or are, have they figured out a way to actually make people really be superheroes? Because we know in the Watchmen universe. Dr. Manhattan is the only one that really has powers. Actually, Lori says that tonight. Mm-hmm. So is that what is going on? I like that because you mentioned the pills. That's why. That's a little theory we've been working on. Yeah, it could be. And I think this lady true, again, not to spoil, but I have seen some scenes that in, you know, scenes from upcoming episodes that would point to something happening mm. there at the Millennium Clock. Something happening there at Tulsa, which I guess has a, I mentioned it in the first episode, um, on our podcast, there's a, there's a, a tourist attraction called the center of the universe. And so maybe that's why they put it in Tulsa is that, you know, the center of the universe is going to be the, the place where maybe they're going to manufacture new superheroes. Mm, um, but yeah. I, you know, it could also be that Ozzy isn't on earth himself yes, and his totally. whole sanctuary is yep. really a prison yep. and maybe he's in outer space and maybe he's trying to find a way out of his prison. Um, and he's testing, you know, these uh, steampunk, Leonardo da Vinci style <laughs> astronaut suits I loved it. as a way for him to get out. And he's got all these clones as his test subjects, yeah. this unlimited set of clones. So now had yeah, you guys considered, I'm sorry to interrupt, but since we're talking about having fun yeah. with it, had you, we had been chatting about, and on some, there's a great, there's a part of all these Facebook groups where I chat with people mm-hmm. that these stories, these separate stories, you think narratively, they've got to meet somehow is one in the yeah. past is one in the future. Are sure. we seeing, is he in captivity because of what he did in the story that we're watching now? Or is he in captivity and he gets out and the result of him getting out is what we're watching now or they meet up together at some point? Do you sure. see what, like which way, which direction is it coming from? I'm leaning more towards that this is all after the events we saw. That, Interesting. That, that, well, now, why do you say it's after? I don't know why. I'm just – I just feel a little bit like – they keep on celebrating an anniversary of something. There was three candles on the cake this mm-hmm. week. There were two last week, one the first week. What are they celebrating right. the anniversary? Is it DIE uh, interdimensional excursion day, which was November 2nd, by the way? Um, <laughs> is it, or is it celebrating how long he's been in captivity? Is it celebrating three years after the events of what we're watching. That's why I don't know. I don't know why, but I kind of feel like maybe that's what it is. I thought, I thought it was actually the opposite. I actually thought that's before we were seeing it different. Yeah. I thought we were seeing something before and here's, and here's the clues. Why? Um, Number one, he's telling the story of the watchmaker son. He's telling the story of Dr. Manhattan. Um, And uh, there was a headline that said Vite presumed dead or die- Vite finally yeah. dies. So he's still alive in this world. Declared um, dead. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, making reference dead, to before. Right? Yeah. So so possibly we're seeing something before the events of the television show are happening. He's either in the sanctuary 
uh, or possibly a prison on Mars. And if he is on Mars, uh, because Dr. Manhattan said, I'm going to go to Mars and I'm going to create life. Yeah. Um, and maybe Vite is that, that first experiment. You also see in the first episode when they look at the Mars cam, Dr. Manhattan is destroying the Ozzy castle. Yeah. Why would he be destroying the Ozzy Castle? Maybe that's the Ozzy Castle that we're seeing in oh, this interesting. timeline. And then also there's the Ozzy Castle that the Topher is playing up. with, kind of like that advanced Lego set. So how would why would there be an advanced Lego set of Ozzy's castle um, if they didn't know where Ozzy was now? You know what I mean? So there's all <laughs> these things that, that point to this See, is yeah. that Ozzy's Ozzy storyline is somehow taking place before all the events but again i could be wrong who knows i mean again we are talking to the creator of lost that moved yeah. islands when he had, ran <laughs> donkey out donkey wheel baby about. right yeah, yeah that's fun yeah see and also all that imagery there wasn't as much in this episode but the first two episodes included a lot of almost like David Lynchian dreamlike imagery, like the mm-hmm. repetition. You see that a lot in films, the repetition of certain objects or things in different situations lead you to lead you to know that you're in like a dreamlike fantasy world or in a hallucination. And the, the continuing imagery of the castle, there was a couple other things had me thinking of just what really is real in this world? What could Dr. Manhattan have created or changed in the time? Because like you said, when we concentrated, Roberto and I had talked a bunch about, that's the last thing Dr. Manhattan says in the comic. One of the last things he says is maybe I'll create some universes. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll go out and do this. You know, it's like he has this renewed interest in the everything of the everything that he can do because of the experiences of the comic and really because of Lori and, and and her tragedy that kind of awakens a little bit, his humanity again. So um, this episode didn't have as much and it really grounded us in that story. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, we find out that he is Adrian Vite. He says it. That was kind of cool. Puts on the costume and he's going to yep. go fight this guy so he can kill American Buffalo who seem to be hurting in Wales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or what appears to be Wales. Uh, who knew Buffalo could live on Mars? No. The, yeah. It's very interesting. Uh, and I love the fact that, again, it, we, it does solidify the fact that we are following the comic books yeah. narrative because he does use the comic book um version of ozymandias's costume which i mean you know i i'm fine with the snyder version and the snyder version was meta in its own regard and the fact that it was it was making fun of the the batman the pre-nolan batman series with the rubber nipples and the rubber suit and all that kind of stuff so there was, you know, a, a message there that Snyder put in as well. But I mean, it's it didn't look as bad as I thought it was because Ozymandias's suit, all the Watchmen suit except for Doctor Manhattan, is kind of bonkers in, yeah. in the comic books. Well, there's but, no uh, doubt though. Damon has already said that the inspirate yeah. that you know the movie is fun and he 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 because he's respectful, but yeah. that this is from the comic that that's almost well, like an alternate yeah. universe. There were definitely some nods to the yeah. to the Snyder Watchmen. Like, yeah, like, yeah. In the scene with hooded justice and the, mm-hmm. like that was, yeah, there, there were, there were some nods. The violin of rise of uh, ride of the Valkyries when yeah. they're lowering Dr. Manhattan in the play that's lifted straight from the movie as well. So yeah, it's definitely a remix. And he's taken the kind of the best aspects of both, which I like. I like it. Cool. Let's talk a little bit about Keen and mm-hmm. Judd, who I don't – I have kind of some ideas here. The sure. whole thing that happened at the cemetery, I don't know, man. This smells of a setup to me that he is grabbed by the guy. and I, I, I mean, I know that it was Lori that ends up shooting him, but it just – the whole – I don't trust this Keen character. I know he's supposed to be kind of like – from what I understand, like, um, not, it's not like Robert Redford is the super liberal and he's the super conservative. It's more like Keene is positioning himself as a moderate to Redford's what people consider to be far left because we've seen all the policies with the gun sure. stuff, the reparations. I've theorized that I think that drugs are very legal here because of mm-hmm. Judd's very liberal use of them. Okay. Um, 
But what do you think it, what, what are your feelings about Keen? Well, and we know about his dad and that background stuff, or maybe you want to talk about that a little. Yeah. I find it very interesting that, well, first of all, Joe Keen is, if you remember the first episode, as Judd is driving away, he's listening to a conservative talk radio where they're eschewing all the positives of, of Joe Keen. And, um, on the newsstand in episode two, they say, well, he's almost a clone of his father. And that got me to thinking, well, if Ozymandias is behind all this and he's already got some clones working for him, could his, his grand experiment <laughs> be creating clones of, so that was, that was I one aspect. Westworld, baby. I, I mean, that's, that's some, definitely some tin foil there. That's some, some psychic squid. No, down I like you. that. But, hey, but there's, Raj, but I like there's, that. But then if you go in episode two, um, at the wake that's at the house uh, where Joe Keen is, Joe Keen obviously has a connection to Judd's wife. Um, if you looked around that house, the only guests that were there were white people in a mm-hmm. town of Tulsa, uh, which is very interesting, very telling. And then the discovery that's behind the closet now. In on the Pedipedia of uh, episode three or the third file, there's a link to a letter that was uh, that was marked evidence by by Agent Petey. And if you read it, it's it's a letter that was written in 1955 to a Sheriff Crawford. And it talks all about the painting that we saw, um, the the uh, martial trials of Comanche horsemanship um, or the martial, whatever it, whatever the title was, I'm, it's somewhere around that. Anyway, it also, if you read that letter, there's also some telling signs or innuendos that Crawford's new position. Now that new position could be sheriff. That new position could also be in reference to his new position and grandstanding with the KKK yeah. or with the, this hidden hood. So if, and that was written by John Keene, John Keene was the, was the first Senator is Joe Keene's father and wrote the um, anti-vigilante bill. This, that was written in the seventies that outlawed vi- vigilanteism. So there's definitely some sort of connection there between the Crawfords and the Keens. Um, I definitely believe this whole, the the bomber was a ruse and a setup. Mm-hmm. The one thing that people are pitching around is somehow Lori might be involved as well, because you see Joe Keen show up at her house and asks her to do something. And well, I wonder she maybe ha- if that's gr- I like that man, because and she had to have made that change from, did she make a deal? Right. Did she make a deal? And you saw that she hit a gun in her leg purposefully and then made sure that Petey turned yep. over his gun. Yep. So there was no one else uh, that would be able to have a gun at the funeral except for her. Um, how, why would she do that? Why would she knowingly bring in another gun and let, unless she knew that she was going to play hero. So there's all these different signs that say, well, not only are Joe Keen and the Calvary involved in this, but could also Lori be part of all that. So I don't I think like so. It. I think that's a little, uh, my personal opinion, I don't think Lori would go down that path, but you, you don't know. I mean, nah. because of her, her obsession and, and this, this fall from, you know, superhero, young teenage superhero trying to get out from under the history of her mom, but is now backslid into the life of her mom and her father. So yeah. that's good. I, that's, that's good stuff. I yeah. th- I don't know if she maybe un maybe this is why she's having this crisis that we're seeing. We're calling Doctor Manhattan. You know, she's she says, "Oh, Tulsa, right?" She knows something's going down. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to go there. Um, mm-hmm. th- the stuff you referenced, I with Judd and with Keen and with Lori. We do have to always keep in mind if you think about some conspiracy going on that the whole basis of the comic, right? The whole grand conspiracy was a horrific tragedy to get America and Russia to stop a nuclear war, right? Mm -hmm. So 
is are we seeing almost a reversal of that? Yes. yes where they want them to fight. Like first mm-hmm. I was thinking Judd sacrificed himself to get Angela and everyone else to fight the Calvary finally because he regretted the decision he made to go with the mass and what happened. Then after episode two, I'm like, I don't know. It was so weird the way it cuts Judd sitting there with her. So there's definitely something going on. But the idea that they would be trying to cause this time a, a, war, a civil war, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the first comic – it was to avoid it. I think it's kind of interesting. So this, I agree too. It just seemed like a setup to me. Whether Lori is involved, I don't know. It could be that she has no choice. You know, or she that, just really wants Dan out of jail, and she yeah. knows that Keen, or at least Keen, is promising mm. that as president, if he's elected, he'll do he that. He would. He'll 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 free Dan, which she maybe she needs in her life because she's not good without him. Um, yeah. And I found it interesting that actually, whereas Joe, it is kind of a reversal because Joe wants more of a federalized program to be able to mask police officers around the country. Um, whereas his father wanted to outlaw that. And so it seems as if like it, uh, the ulterior motive here is not the not to stop the spread of masks, but to actually, actually spread you know and, and bring this authoritarian, uh, you know, well maybe uh, in effect justice maybe, yeah maybe in effect to bring what Nixon brought to Vietnam, which is Doctor Manhattan right. and the comedian to mm-hmm. America, right? Like maybe yeah. his idea is that made me that I was interested too because. Here you have an anti-vigilante crime force. We start off the show with her taking out a masked hero. But yet when we get to Tulsa, she interacts with Pirate Jenny and Red Scare and Looking Glass and uh, Angela as well. And they're part of the cops there. So is really what the pilot program of masking the cops, is it really more about so Keen can create these super soldiers through Lady True and Vite, right? Yeah. To take, be. to be a bunch of super uh, enhanced police that perhaps are that are clones that they control. So they yeah. can control everyone. So yeah. I don't know. Who knows? That wouldn't be too good. <laughs> there you go. I, I, I don't want to live in that world. It's interesting, you know? But it would make sense why they're fetishizing heroes now, yeah. why they're coming out with American hero story, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. I mean, the you know, you you blind an organization and then uh or you blind a populace, you know, through, you know, PR stunts and then slowly erode, you know, individual liberties. Well, who watches the watchmen? That's the whole that's go. the whole freaking thing. I do want to mention I thought Dopa was a really funny name. I love Yeah, I that. thought that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> She's like Dopa her she man, uh-huh. Jean Smart did great, man. Um, she was wonderful. What else do we got? I think we talked a lot about it. I think a we lot talked about it all for an Instacast. This was this is like forty five <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> Let's see, did I have anything else? Who the car we talked a little bit about the car the story yeah Yeah, we talked about a lot hey man this was great yeah it was fun it was a lot of i like i said i i love i love watching the watchman you know quiz custodia ipsos custodes so that's nice man well hey why don't you tell everyone a a bit because we didn't do in the beginning about how they can hear you where they should go and what you're doing and all that yeah if you want to hear more of the these uh far out tinfoil watchman theories you can subscribe uh, to the podcast Watchmen from Shat on TV, wherever you get your podcasts, you can also just go to our website, shatontv.com and subscribe there. You'll find all the links to all of our past episodes of Watchmen, including um, all the other shows that we do reviews on. Uh, we talked about Westworld. We do Westworld podcasts. We do a, a Game of Thrones podcast. We do True Detective, Taboo, American Gods. And of course, the the Watchmen. I think there's one more. Did I say True Detective? I think it's and true. Shat on the movies. And the, yeah, we do a Shat the movies podcast. Yeah. If you're a fan of 80s and 90s movies, uh, basically the the concept is, uh, you know, are the movies we loved when growing up do they do they really stand the test of time? Are they really that good looking back now? So that's a that's more of a loose 
fun podcast. And uh, we just got done doing our Shat Spooktacular where we did a couple Halloween movies. We did uh, Army of Darkness and we did The Shining, which, the spoiler, The Shining still holds up. So, yeah. So check this out. I think we're 130 movies deep over there. So lots of fun episodes there if you're, uh, you know, want to add one more movie podcast to your list. Yeah. Chat the movies and chat on TV.com. That's awesome. Now, before we go, I just have to ask you, man, how excited were you when the Aaron Paul Westworld season three trailer dropped? I mean, you've seen it, right? Super excited. Yeah. Super excited. (laughs) Of course. I can't, I can't wait to go straight from Watchmen into Westworld. Oh man, dude, that looked amazing. They're just going to continue it. That, that, that I, I, we did a episode about that, just talking theories off the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I think we went like an hour and a half. Oh, geez. So, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if my co-host, my co-host over there, B, uh, big D Dick Ebert and, uh, Gene Lyons, uh, they hate it when we go anything longer than an hour and 15 minutes. So I have to say condensed. Yeah. And all my theories and uh, <laughs> my, well, my, t- my script. Yeah. See, I try to do that, but I have to admit from the lost days, we, d- we used to do ramble casts all the time. I mean, <laughs> our finale, the finale podcast we did for lost was almost eight hours long. Holy I'm smokes. not even joking. And there is a podcast actually. Uh, called uh, Lost with Claude and Justin. What? Was, oh man, I'm losing the name of it. Every they did like three, four seasons, and of every episode of of Lost, and each episode is like eight to ten hours long. Holy smokes! So right, who has that? Time? <laughs> well, back in the day, I used to, but now I have a child, so I do not. Yeah. So I agree with you, man. <laughs> I like about an hour, an hour and fifty. I think that is kind of perfect podcast length. I have to agree with them. I agree. Yeah, that's cool. Well, everybody, go over to chat, what is chatontv.com. Yep, and then chatthemovies.com. And you can also check me out on Twitter, Roger underscore Roper, R-O-E-P-E-R. That's where I am. Uh, you can interact with me and slide into my DMs. Yeah, not ooh, an invitation. Maybe you have a big blue go. dildo, huh? Uh, I mean, listen, if you're offering, I'll take it. <laughs> All right, then. Pegging is available, people. You know who to DM. Thanks, everybody, go. for listening. This has been a lot of fun, Raj. Thanks a lot, pal. This Thanks for inviting great. me. Yeah, man. Check us out at DVRpodcast.com. I'll be back on Wednesday with Aaron. I'm going to be back on Friday with Roberto. And actually, tomorrow, I am doing a podcast in Winterfell. It's been a while, and I'm interviewing Kim Renfro of Insider.com. She's got a book called The Unofficial Guide to Game of Thrones, and we're going to talk all about last week's crazy news and Dan and Dave and all that crap. But until then, we will be back with Watchmen. Subscribe, rate, leave us a review. Peace out, people. Peace. Peace.